0: I'm James on the second, and I'm Mark McGregor. And you're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. Here we are at episode number seventy-four. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. And we are we are making our way through the summer, kind of a slow news week. Mark, I don't know if it's just no deals happening because people are on
1: vacation. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting, James. So from a business point of view. I've noticed that this summer is especially slow. Summer's always slow in the oil and gas industry, but for some reason this summer's even slower than normal. It's um we have a bunch of work that's stretched out longer than it should have for our clients just because people aren't in the office anymore. And I have a guess, and I, I think this low crude price has allowed people to have a little bit more freedom. They're not as busy, so they're taking more vacation. I don't I don't have any data, it's just a guess on that. On that. But just yeah, a guess. Yeah, we summer.
0: were talking about that. Maybe also with the low crude price, people aren't as busy, but they also have more money to to spend in the gas
1: tank. Right, right. So they, it's easier for them to take long road trips because it costs almost nothing to fill up their car. We just got back from a road trip. Yeah, that was a great trip. Unfortunately, we can't talk about it now.
0: We can't talk about it now. We will talk about it in the future. But, oh, my goodness,
1: we were up north, and it was, what, 65, 70 degrees? Yeah, it was funny. So the city that we were in, the night that we arrived, I was watching the news in a hotel, and they're talking about a heat warning, excessive heat warning for the next day. And they're talking about shelters. Make sure you stay hydrated and everything. And when I got up to go to the gym at like five five fifteen in the morning, it was sixty seven degrees. <laughs> <laughs> just, we gotta be careful about that heat out there. <laughs> and, and and you know I I totally get about being acclimatized and everything, but being from Houston, Texas, I just found it humorous. Yeah, it was pretty good.
0: All right, let's get into the stories for this week. We'll kick it off in China because it's kind of a follow up to something we've been talking about, or uh, at least a story we covered um, maybe a few episodes ago. So China waters. China waters down energy reforms after pushback.
1: What's going on here? Yeah, you know, this is this is really fascinating. So you're taking a country that is communist, as communist as you can get, but they keep adapting more free enterprise business practices. And they, this has been going on for a long time. And this is another area where they're looking at uh, opening up the free market in a communist country. Um, and so the, the, basically what's going on is um, uh, uh, a China National Petroleum Company, uh, CNPC, owns you know eighty or ninety percent of the pipelines in all of China. And they're looking at breaking that up because that's a monopoly and seeing if they can privatize some of that, which then, of course, would foster um, competition, innovation. It would the prices would go down. Um, and, and but in order to do it because they're a communist government, they have to get the government approval to to do this. So this is a whole article about the process it's going through, what the experts think um. Um, you know, and and many of the experts say they think they're going to go down this route. It just could take a while because they're going to have to change the way they think about stuff. Um, but but it is interesting to watch China understand, acknowledge, and implement parts of the free market because they know it's the best business practice, even though they're a communist government. Yeah, talk about a cultural change. Yeah, and, and it's been going on, right? So there's there's now several areas in China that are free market. A lot of the retail out there is free market. Um, you know, Apple is is in China. Um, and, and you know, years ago, especially, um, you know, in the 60s and 70s, all that was locked down. The government controlled everything. And they've realized they start loosening up on those controls that it benefits everybody. And the other thing that they talk about a little bit here, but it's, it's huge, is China has a major, major pollution problem. Uh, most of their energy, most of their electrical generation comes from coal. And they don't have the same environmental um, issues Uh, not environmental environmental rules that we have so they just burn naked coal and dump the exhaust in the atmosphere there's no clean coal burning technology you know their older vehicles don't have catalytic converters or lean burn technology and so china realized that they need to get away from that so by breaking up these um this pipeline monopoly it's going to foster more and cheaper natural gas dispersion through the country which means more and more gas-fired electrical power plants will be built which then will reduce pollution and bring more electricity, more energy to China's people, um, which, is, which is a good thing. Yeah, what's interesting here is that it talks about how it's not just midstream.
0: So besides the midstream reforms are taking place, to liberalize markets across the upstream and downstream sectors as well. So they're pushing big reforms across the board.
1: Y- yeah, except you can't really say pushing big. Big reforms. They're talking about reforms. Yeah, and they're pushing point. them slowly, right? Right. Because um, this is this is a cultural change for a, a country. I mean, China's China's been a country for you know fifteen hundred years. I you know. So, but to me, the the big thing is if you're not if you're not a capital market driven government, if you're if you're a communist government, but you still see the benefits of free enterprise, that kind of tells me that somewhere down the road, the communist part thing will just fade away. That would be wonderful, not only for the world, but especially the
0: people in China, yeah. especially the people. All right. We've got a little Brexit talk going on here, but it actually reflects back here on the home front. So North American oil deals trickled,
1: trickle back after Brexit shock. Yeah. So we talked, I don't remember which show it was. We talked about how when the Brexit vote was cast, I went out and bought a bunch of blue chip right. stocks. <laughs> right? And I've since sold that and I made a profit. This is sort of the same thing. Right. So, so. The mergers and acquisition market didn't quite know how this was going to affect anything, so they just stopped for a little while. And and what's happening now, they see what it's going to do. They see the longer-term uh, play this is going to take. They they understand better what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. Uh, you're starting to see deals start to pick back up. Um, and I, I should have figured this was going to happen. I didn't think this through completely, but it makes total sense. If you're doing global mergers and acquisitions and an economy as big as the UK decides to exit the European Union, you're just going to stop for a second and make sure you understand what's going on because um, you don't want to buy something that's going to be devalued. Um, so, you know, um, you know these things are starting to pick back up. Publicly trading companies are, are starting to um, you know, do mergers and acquisitions again. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, capital out there. So, um, you know, in June, it looks like about 10% more mergers and acquisitions happened than is normal. Now, that's not a huge number, but it's, it's a growth number. So, um, you know, I think the other thing driving this, is I think the market as a whole and especially the, the operators have realized that the price crude has has hit rock bottom and it's working its way back up and they need to look to the future.
0: Well, we talked about that, too, in terms of markets. They just like they like stability. Right. And so, of course, there was going to be a bit of a drop. But once people saw th- how things shook out, I mean, it talks right here about Diamondback Energy. Last week said it would spend 560 million dollars buying leases on oil-rich land in the southern Delaware Basin, and it goes on from there, naming a couple different
1: operators that are definitely spending a lot of money buying up land. Yeah, and and it's the right time to do this. So, um, you know, uh, it's it. it I it will be interested to see what happens to the North Sea environment. This is a side discussion uh, because of Brexit, but it's um, you know, deals are starting to happen again.
0: Well, I didn't put it in there. I can put it in the extras in the show notes because pretty much the the consensus seems to be that it's really bad for the North Sea.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, I, you know, I got a lot of friends up there. There's a lot of great companies doing a lot of great work up there. But I I would tend to agree with you on that.
0: Yeah, well, those are just what the headlines are saying. So I'll find a couple of them and throw them in the show notes. Uh, let's move on to ExxonMobil because this is an interesting Interesting headline to say the
1: least. ExxonMobil makes first corporate acquisition bid since 2013. Yeah, do you remember the show a while back when uh, we talked about we read an arc about how the CEO of Exxon says they're not looking to acquire any companies.
0: <laughs> yes, I do remember. It's been a little while, but I do remember that and you were going, "Nah, I don't, that's that's bull." <laughs> probably.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I just just wanted to bring it up before we got into this. So um, here's Exxon <laughs> making an acquisition. <laughs>
0: so, Mark Lacroix seeing the future in the obvious.
1: Yeah, so um, this is a great acquisition by Exxon. Um, they're buying um, um, basically a, a natural gas producer, midstream operator in uh, in New Guinea, and it, they're getting in more and more into the LNG business. And it, and it, this is a good deal uh, for for everybody that's involved. But the one thing I, I want to point out, um, Exxon doesn't make Bad decisions. They're Exxon. Um, remember, we talked about Shell buying BG and Shell turn itself into a, a gas company.
0: Yeah, and right? that's more more articles that I didn't put in here. But everyone's yeah. talking about how the future for Shell is gas.
1: Yeah, look what Exxon's doing. Exxon's doing the same thing in a different, different way, right? In a different size, but Exxon sees the future value in having more gas production, especially LNG so they're adding to port their portfolio in uh in uh, Papua New Guinea um it's they're doing a stock trade but they're getting a, the company um which is um Inner Oil Corp is getting a premium um you know this is a good deal for, i would lo- i wish i had stock in uh, inner corp because this you <laughs> yeah, know i, would've, I would've would be a good out of time head. yeah yeah and it and then this just is is a perfect fit perfect bolt on for Exxon's portfolio in that whole asia pacific part of the world so the The other thing that they don't talk about in this article, but then this brings to light, is does this mean that Exxon and Shell are now going to go head to head in LNG? Because Exxon seems
0: like it, right?
1: Yeah, Exxon and Shell are growing. They're they're enormously much bigger than the rest of the super majors, bigger than Chevron and and Total and BP. And we talked about this a long time ago. I don't know if you remember it, but. I, I saw this coming. It's like, are we gonna have the mega super majors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Major? I remember you talking yeah. about the mega super majors. Yeah. And so so here's Exxon going down that mega super major and 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 you know, understanding that gas is gonna be a major profit margin in the future. Um so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. You know, you get Exxon and Shell start slugging stuff out in a part of the world. The people benefit, right? The prices go down. Um, the, the environment gets improved. There's uh, more energy for the, for the population that doesn't have energy. The middle class starts and grows. Um, so, you know, let's it's keep an eye on this in a longer term type of thing.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. You know me, I always like to put things in concrete terms. And this subheading is pretty telling. IOC acquisition delivers Exxon a barnet sized gas source for its PNG LNG plant. Yeah. Barnett side. That's, that's pretty, that's a large statement.
1: It's enormous, enormous, enormous. Yeah. And it's in part of the world that has a big appetite for LNG, right? So not New Guinea, but the race, rest of Asia Pacific, you know, Japan, we talked about this before, Japan's scrapping their nuclear, they're going to need LNG, uh, Korea's uh, Vietnam, you know, all those developing countries. So um, keep an eye on this. If, you know, if I was an investor, I would start looking at what other pieces These companies need to bring this stuff to market, such as import terminals. Well, who's building import terminals in Vietnam? I would look at companies like that.
0: Yeah, and and I've known about that for, gosh, at least five, six years now, going way back to my days at Drilling Info. I remember one of the guys coming in and presenting about the different data that they had out in Australia. And that was back in the days when Halliburton had one frack truck for the entire continent of australia right you know so it's been it's been a long time coming but yeah they they need they need the energy they need they need people to move it for them out there all right let's move over to um maybe a little uh, a little rumor mail here on seeking alpha noble ensco the case for a horizontal merger walk us through this
1: yeah so i i have a finger in the oil and gas merger um rumor mill and i have not heard this which doesn't mean that it's not going to happen um um the whole uh, uh acquisition of cameron i should have known knowing Slumberjay as well as i do that was going to happen and, and i didn't hear any rumors and, and they they pulled it off without me knowing um not that the ceo of Slumberjay is like my best bud and calls to ask my opinion on stuff um and if he was i'd be sworn to secrecy and once again i couldn't talk about it anyway but anyway so I, I think this is an article by seeking alpha on um, something called a horizontal merger where two companies work in the same part of the market and they have the same client base? And does it make sense for them to merge to decrease costs? So I think this is more of a what-if scenario than a rumor reel. But we'll see. Um, the other thing to, to remember about this, and this is typical oil and gas industry, you have Noble Energy and Noble Corporation, and they're not related at all. Right. This is an article about Noble Corporation and Enscope. Both are uh, offshore drilling contractors. Both are very uh, similar in size um, both are very similar as far as their fleet. Um, both are very similar as far as their business strategy, which, which is basically cut costs and and scrap old parts of your fleet that don't make money for you, um, reduce your day rate, um, you know, make sure you have cash flow. Um, and so, you know, it would make sense for these two companies to merge because now they could reduce costs even more in this environment where drill ships aren't getting a premium. There's a good number in here and this, this just puts it in perfect light. Um. Talking about Noble Corp, and you know, on February 2016, um, uh, won an extension on one of its drill ships. Before they were making 197, the, the day rate is 197,000 a day. So almost 200,000 a day they were getting for that drill ship. Mm-hmm. The, the the extension was at 96,000 a day. That hurts. And it multiply across your whole fleet and across your competition's fleet. Um, so you know, so yeah, I, I, this Arthur I think did a good job. I can see this making a, a financial sense. I also can see this making sense for as far as shareholder value. Um, but what I don't think is that I haven't heard any rumors of this actually happening. So they talk about Transocean in here. How does Transocean come into this? So Transocean's bigger than these two. So if if this if this would happen, all of a sudden now Transocean has a competitor of their size. Mm. Someone who can punch the same weight. Yeah. And 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 you know, operate on a as big a scope and scale as TransOcean can. So um, you know, you're, you're seeing this right now in the service industry, you're seeing um, companies, you know, um, uh, acquire other companies, all of a sudden they're bigger and then they can compete better with their big competitors.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a lot more, a lot more of this to happen to come probably as, as more and more companies kind of weather the storm of the low crude prices. Well, right? and it's
1: just, it's just part of the industry. Mergers and acquisitions have been happening since, you know, the Chinese drilled oil 800 years ago. I'm right. sure somebody bought, bought their bamboo uh, drill shaft and their Flint drill sh- um, a uh, drill bit, you know, and merge it with somebody else doing the same thing. So this is just part of the industry.
0: All right. Let's talk about, um, shale because we, we've been talking a lot about downstream, midstream and so forth. I think it's fun to, uh, focus a little bit on upstream. And so we have another article from shale. I'm sorry, from seeking alpha shale oil, the stack promise.
1: <laughs> what is it about our industry? It comes up with acronyms. It just, see the stack. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just how we work. Yeah, so uh, Stack is the Sooner Trend, Anadarko Basin, Canadian, and Kingfisher counties, just in case anybody wants. So basically an area of Oklahoma that is hot, and it's hot because it's really cheap to get oil out of the ground, get oil um, to recover uh, hydrocarbons from the shale. So, um, you know, Devon Energy's rock and roll out there. Continental Resources rock and roll out there. Um, uh, Devon, Devon uh, is talking about they did a 5,000-foot lateral, and the, um, in, uh, in the, the play they found is overpressurized. If you're an operator, you love to find a play that's overpressurized, right? That means the pressure in the, res- in the reservoir itself is pushing oil out of the ground. You know, you have little or no or zero lift costs. Now, what happens in all reservoir plays, but it happens much quicker in fracking, is that pressure drops quickly as you go through time. So, um, you know, and, and we've improved those metrics a lot. But, um, but this is um, talking about how that whole stack well area looks to be really hot. And you got some operators out there that are doing really well, and in they're um, increasing production rate and, and decreasing decline rates. Um, you know, so, so once again, you know, if, if, if you're following those shale resources plays out there, here's an area where people, or companies are actually putting money into it instead of pulling out because they can make money at $50, $45, $40 a barrel. Yeah, so um, specifically
0: talking about Devin, the latest spacing pilot, the Alma, tested five wells per section across a single interval in the Upper Merrimack, delivering IP thirty rates averaging fourteen hundred boe per day per well on five five thousand foot laterals, of which
1: sixty percent was
0: oil. So, talk yeah. us through that. What is that? Well, Unpack making, that for you're
1: us. You're doing fifteen hundred barrels of oil, oil equivalent, right? So that's that's the way to measure the mix that's coming out uh, per well over ninety day average. That is really good, um, and the wells are only spaced four hundred feet apart. Wow! Right? Yeah, so that Think just tells that. you
0: that it's not—it's not decreasing the pressure in the reservoir with the closer spacing. It's still a really
1: strong producer. Yeah, 400 feet—that's not much longer than a football field, right? So imagine that huge uh, geography, and you could put wells as close as 400 feet. I, I mean, this is this is rocking and rolling. I mean, this is—you know—this is there's a lot of potential here, and and it's not potential in a lab or on an Excel spreadsheet. This is out in the field, and it it's, looks
0: like then— Continental's going a little bit farther with their laterals up to ninety seven hundred feet.
1: Yeah, there's there's a cost benefit relationship there, and it changes as we learn more and more. Um, you know, the, the longer you drill a lateral, the more money you spend, but also more production. And at what point is that lateral where you need it to be, where you don't overspend the money, but you get in good production? And 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 once we figure it out, James, two weeks later, somebody figures it out better there's something else to change, right? How often do you do the perforations? You know, how much pressure uh, do you use? Um, you know, man-made um, sand or, or real? Uh, you know, there's all these variables that go in there, and and we're constantly learning. And we've talked about this in other shows. All that type of knowledge in the in the shell plays is in people's heads here in the U.S., and that's why other areas of the world, even though they have the same geology, they can't they can't do what we're doing. They will eventually, but they can't do it now. What's
0: really telling is that Continental, Continental Resources said that the well that they're talking about in this article only costs $9 million. Yeah. And that that's, is
1: that's, really low for a shale well. Yeah. And that's probably down. I would say it, just in the last two years, that's probably close to 50% decrease in cost. Yeah. That's incredible. All right.
0: So we'll keep an eye on the stack with, uh, with their acronym there. All right. Let's, let's keep it going with the upstream focus, five companies dominating the Permian Basin.
1: the Permian yeah. basin. Yeah, and if you follow I- any of the basins in North America, this, this is no surprise, right? Um, so Chevron, Occidental, Apache, Pioneer, uh, Concho, they're all rocking and rolling. Now, the interesting thing about Chevron, and I and I know Chevron really well, this is Chevron's um, opco or business unit called Mid-Continent. And Chevron's Mid-Continent really was not doing very well when all this started because they were Chevron and they were used to doing these offshore projects and the Business drivers are completely different in the shale plays than it is offshore, but they've learned, right? They're getting better and better and better at this. So think about that. Think about if you have a company with the scope of Chevron, with the money, with the engineers, and you start figuring out how to be prof on the shale plays. Chevrons go all over the world and do this. Um, yeah, and, they you know, are. That's a really great point. They're, yeah, they're yeah. going to go everywhere. Yeah. And so, um, you know, one of the things I love about Chevron is they're, they, are they take pride in being a technology company, right? Technology is a competitive differentiator. And so once they figure this out, they're gonna use technology to help replicate this all over the world. I, I'm willing to bet Chevron's will be one of the first companies that successfully, like financially, profitability, go to other countries that have the right um, shale um, geology and start um, punching holes in the ground, and start making money. And, and then eventually that knowledge will spread and the countries themselves will be able to do it. Um, but, you know, the Permian is crazy huge. And the Permians, everybody thinks it's new. They started drilling it's the It's been around like, for It's the 20. oldest. It's yeah. forever. All right. And so this is a good example of how you take an old basin that when they used the technology that day and they thought they had tapped it out and they really didn't. And we come up with new technologies. We're able to get more oil and gas out of the ground. And then that trend will continue. So, you know, you and I talked about CO2 injection, I think, on the last show, right? That's another stimulation technique like fracking. What happens 10 years now when the, the fracking wells start to decline and somebody comes in with a new technology? I mean, this is, it's, it's just wonderful and great for everybody, but it should be no surprise, you know, the top five companies that are rocking in the Permian. And not even
0: 10 years from now, they talk about right here, so it's 2016, I mean, mid-2016 at this point. So right now Chevron is doing 125,000 BOE per day on 2, million. I'm sorry, 2 million net acres and by 2020 they're going to be able to grow that to 350,000.
1: Yeah, that that's just that's just so cool.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. And then it's it, I always like hearing about Oxy when it about Oxy because it seems that they're always linked to California and I like to hear about them doing well in in areas that aren't California.
1: No, Oxy's a a great operator. Um and and it's, it's a really good company. You know, they're nowhere near the size of somebody like Chevron. But they do it right. They've been doing it right from almost the get-go. Yeah, and then you,
0: these are just uh, old, old good. I feel back home here. So we got some talk about Pioneer and Concho doing some work in the sprayberry and the wolf camp. So good article. Check it out in the show notes. And we'll move on over to uh, breaking energy. This is uh, an article that I think you and I have a lot to say about the states and the right regulatory approach.
1: Yeah, and so disclaimer here. This is... Um, this is um, an article written by Energy Tomorrow, which is um, a, a publication by the American Petroleum Institute. I am on the board of directors for the American Petroleum Institute, the Houston chapter. Um, I am by no way compensated talking about this. This is an article that James just pulled up randomly, and so um, and it's a great article about states' rights. Um, what 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 they're talking about is um, they had a group of energy leaders get together and want to talk about how the states need to take control of the regulations around oil and gas instead of the federal government stepping in and this group is called the u.s uh, energy information administration so eia and this is, took place in washington so you had kinder morgan president uh, basically talking about the same thing um you have uh, you know several other major business leaders out there you had uh, scott kill who's the uh, assistant chief of the ohio department of natural resources you had the texas railroad commission out there and and basically every state and every company that spoke out there said, look, each state is different. The rules that we need to operate safely, environmentally responsibly, are going to be different in each state. States that have been in oil business as long as Ohio, or Pennsylvania, Texas have been doing this right at the state level. Why would you bring the federal government in? Now we've talked about this on past shows, where unfortunately, you know, our current um, uh, presidential administration is pushing really hard that the federal government takes over all of this, which which you know, I think is not only is it wrong, I, I think it's a, a, a way to actually intentionally hurt our industry by doing a, a kind of a go around. And so far, we've been actually been really lucky that a lot of the stuff that's been pushed out by our current administration, uh, judges have overturned. Um, so, so you know, I agree 100% with this. It should go back to states' rights. We don't need more federal regulation. We need less federal regulation. Um, we'll see what happens. You know, we we're in an election year. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball and, and this year. Even if I had a crystal ball, I like think this year, my crystal ball would be fuzzy, <laughs> fuzzy, blurry. Let's not talk about it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, another thing that we don't like to talk about, because this is just never going to end, but, um, you know, the global warming thing. But it, I love this quote right here. Um, you know, we need more natural gas, not less. In the power sector, we are back to 1993 levels on greenhouse gas emissions. We've increased our generation by 25% while keeping the emission levels flat. That is That is that testify. That's
1: amazing. Those are amazing numbers. And I want to be very clear here. That's not environmental regulations causing that to happen. That is not federal government, nor has any environmental activist group participated in that. That is the oil and gas and the energy generation business working together to do it right.
0: Yeah, to do it right and be in being free to do so by being regulated at the state level. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about this case study. This is kind of interesting to me. So case study, Shell
1: and Rockwell make oil and gas production smart. You know what's funny about this? So they talk about Shell's smart Field, which has been something Shell's been working on a long time. I just had one of my clients, I had a phone call with him about 10 o'clock someone around the same thing. And then coincidentally, you bring it up. <laughs> well, let's it's talk hard. about it then. Yeah. So um, and we've, we've went through this before, but we're in a long-term hydrocarbon abundant world where prices are going to stay low so all the all all the companies out there are looking away to a lower cost and one of the ways you lower costs is you take all of your operations you link it together so think of internet of things so that you can see everything in real time you take all that data that you get and you put some artificial intelligence around it you put some big data analytics around it so so the data is no longer siloed and you can actually start doing smart things and that lowers your cost. And actually, in a lot of cases, not only does it lower your cost, it increases your uptime, which means it increases your production. So, um, you know, Shell's been doing this in the North Sea. They basically, um, every tree, every production tree, every plit, every manifold, every pipeline in the bottom of the North Sea has sensors in it. It's all wired together. They can, Shell can see that entire operations in real time. And what happens is they can start doing pr- predictive maintenance. So, hey, we think something's going to fail over here. So before it fails, we'll switch this out so we don't have any downtime. And it's driving some real efficiencies in Shell, Shell the Royal Dutch Shell. Um, but one of the unexpected benefits is their uptime has went up. So their, their production is actually going up. Um, and they, they talk about this. And they also talked about Rockwell. Rockwell is actually partnering with Microsoft Microsoft has a real interesting product called Azure, and I've been hearing a lot about it, not from Microsoft, but from other companies that ride their platform. And, and Microsoft Azure is basically kind of everything in a box in the cloud. So everything you need to build, develop, manage applications, even stuff like uh, even able to control media, um, big data analytics. And it's not all built around Microsoft code. It will work with anything. And so it's a platform that you buy access to. And a lot of companies have, have, start to use this with their product. so this is you know rockwell automation using microsoft azure as the platform and what they're doing is they're um, they're they're actually automating a lot of this um, maintenance type of of, of issues so uh, one of the things they talk about is with their solution you know when a, a pump goes down offshore it can stop operation stop production and you may lose you know 300 dollars a day in production So what happens, Rockwell has outfitted these pumps with um, a bunch of sensors and variable speed drives and then plugged it into Microsoft's Azure platform so that um, the operator could look at their pumps in real time and look at things like pressure, temperature, flow rates in real time for all the pumps on that rig. And what happens is they can tell when a pump's getting ready to fail. And so within five minutes, they know exactly what's getting ready to happen. They know what they need to test. They know what they need to, to fix it. And so instead of it being down for a day or two or whatever, um, it's, it's down for like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes and it saves hours and hours of troubleshooting and hours and hours of, of, of man, of labor. Yeah. And that's to-
0: that's ex- exactly what Mark McKinley facilities engineer at Hillcorp, said. The last time we had a well trip offline within five minutes, this blows my mind. Five minutes. We had a phone call telling us what broke, what to look at and how to test it. It saved us six hours or more of troubleshooting.
1: Yeah. And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know, I've been talking about this for the last two years, how, um, Internet of Things, which is a digital oil field, big data and analytics, are gonna fundamentally change our industry. And it's happening. And here's here's a case study where it's actually really in process right now with some major companies.
0: Let's talk about another uh, another interesting case study from Rig Zone. Drones from delivering tacos to fighting pipeline corrosion.
1: Hey, I want that taco delivery drone. <laughs> I need I need that.
0: a taco delivery drone myself. Is there, is there an app for that? I want
1: that app. Yeah, definitely. Um so We've talked about this before. It's something, once again, it's, it's evolution of the industry. Um, the cool thing, speaking of our federal government and doing not so cool stuff with the oil and gas industry, they've actually done some cool stuff with drones. For a while, we thought they would come out with legislation where when you're using drones commercially, you'd have to have a real pilot's license, as crazy as that sounds. Um, and they went the opposite way. They actually made it easier to use drones from a federal government level or commercial. Um, and so this has opened up drone use for all kinds of stuff and when i say drones a lot of people think of the things like the parrot the bebop or whatever the little four uh quadcopter thing with the, the ca- a camera in it in oil and gas it's different that you have uh, autonomous fish out, that slumber owns right now out in the gulf of what Mexico. autonomous yeah, you know, fish they're not real fish they, they have a they, uh, but they're they're drones that swim and they use a combination of solar and wave power to power themselves and you never need to go get them and they're out in the gulf right now looking to see if there's any uh, wells that are capped that start leaking um, there's, there's drones out there in the seabed looking at pipeline systems and they're using, um, ultrasonic and FLIR and all kinds of thermal sensing to look for, you know, if there's issues with pipelines offshore oh, that's going on right now and that's just continue to grow. So it's going to make our industry safer. It's also going to increase efficiencies, right? So the, one of the best ways to test a pipeline is, is basically to pig it. So you shut it down and you run a pig through it. And a pig's a, uh, a device that runs inside the pipeline has a bunch of sensors but when you're doing that you're not in operation so you have to shut down operation which you lose money with the drones we'll be able to do the same thing and stay in operation but here's the other thing that you will not talk about in this article james here's a new job or a new th- uh, class of jobs for the oil and gas industry drones drone operators drone builders drone programmers that's a really great point yeah Is, isn't that cool i mean think about that if if, you know, if you're listening to the show and you've been flying a drone in your backyard taking pictures of your neighbor's girlfriend or whatever, <laughs> um, <laughs> you could take those same skills and come work in the oil and gas industry. Make some money with them. Make some money. Make some some a good money. A Creepy
0: guy. Um, so they talk here downstream today sits down with uh, Chris Wilbur from uh, Houston based pipeline services uh, director with the Lloyd's Registry subsidiary SGC engineering. So what are some of the things that Chris talks about?
1: Yeah. So the same thing I just told you. So he talked about the best inspection method or pipeline is inline inspection. That's basically pigging. Um, And the other thing that's probably more interesting what he talks about is the company that he's from. So Lloyd's of London, if people don't know, is is I think one of the oldest insurance companies in the world and they insure everything. Um, All these super tankers, all these offshore rigs, most of them are, are insured by Lloyd's of London. So when Lloyd's of London comes out with guidelines, which is what they talk about this article about operating drones in the oil and gas industry. That tells you that a company that's been in business forever knows this is big business in the future because they're trying to get ahead of it and get involved in it. So what they're really trying to do is say, OK, here's the guidelines. And by the way, if you're operating drones, you probably want them insured. We're Lloyd's of London. We insure big, expensive stuff. So let us help you. So that means Lloyd's of London sees the potential of this. And this is all the whole robotic technology um, um, movement that's happened in this industry. I can't tell you what companies are involved, but I had a chance to actually look at a real functioning exoskeleton. So think of aliens, you know, the things we were in. But what happens on land in, I guess the whole world, but especially in North America, when you move a rig, nowadays the rigs can move themselves. But there's a whole bunch of things that weigh between two and 800 pounds that a man just can't pick up. And they have to bring in these small cranes, cherry pickers, and pick these things up and put them in a pickup truck or a flatbed and move them. Well, now with the exoskeleton, A person can get in and pick up these two to 800 pound things and just walk to the next site. No, wait, wait, wait. What happens next? Uh, Tell me about it. You can take the person out. Oh, right. Big data analytics, right? So, you know, here's, here's, here's the the glimpse of what our future is. Um, I've already seen um, robotic completions. I've literally seen machinery with no people involved that can go to a well that's been drilled and do completions. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's coming. It's now it's it's taken forever <laughs> to, to get here and it's gonna move really slow in our industry, but it's coming. I mean, and I'm so excited. I'm, I'm ready to get there. Yeah, that that's
0: some next level stuff that I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around while looking at the Wikipedia page for Lloyd's register, because it was founded 256 years ago in 1760. Talk about yeah. a legacy
1: brand. So what's what's interesting, I cannot remember the shipwreck, but some treasure hunter found some like Spanish galleon shipwreck. With a bunch of gold and whatever, but Lloyd's of London was the insurer. And so, it, the way they wrote that contract back in the 1800s is Lloyd actually owned that gold because they insured the ship. You know, you're <laughs> you know you've been around a long time. When somebody can find a sunken antique Spanish galleon and you were the insurance provider on that thing, that's
0: amazing. That's yeah. amazing. All right, so those are our stories for the week. We have our weekly Onion Contrary Contrarian Amazon user completely upends critical consensus on microfiber towels. Can read that about that in the show notes and bulwark has another winner
1: for us mr mark lacour yeah so before we get the winner let's talk a little bit about bulwark so bulwark is the world's number one brand of fr apparel number one in the world um bulwark has over 45 years of frontline fr experience that means they've done it everywhere in the globe right and because they're so large they they and they're, and they're the, actually the largest manufacturer of fr apparel they have a huge selection of styles fabrics fits which means anywhere in the world, you and your crew, if you need FRs, you can reach out to Bulwark and they can get it to you usually within 48 hours. And it will fit, which means it will function. And if you like the red, you can get the red. And they probably have 500 different shades of red. <laughs> you know, they they can make you happy. They can fulfill your order, make sure your people are safe. Um, and so, you know, if you're looking at FR clothing for you or your, your crews or your company, anywhere in the world, look at Bulwark. And speaking of winner, we have a winner of… The uh, Bulwark Long Sleeve FR2 Tone Bass Layer. James, who's the winner? Speaking of Oxymark, we have Roger Spott's Function Foreman
0: at Oxy. Yes! Love it. Love it. Congrats. Congrats, Roger. Send us a fix. So if you want a chance to win your own, go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. B-U-L-W-A-R-K dot com forward slash podcast. And thank you to everyone who is submitting their information and supporting our sponsors.
1: Because we cannot do this show without them. Yeah. And look, let me tell you, our sponsors, we have personal relationships with. We we tell people no more than we tell them yes. So when you come on as a sponsor, you're special. You're good. You're high quality. You're ethical. You're all the stuff that we require you to be a sponsor. And you give away some really cool stuff. So this um this long sleeve, two-tone base layer, I mean, even if you work in the office, how cool would it be to have your own FR clothing just in case you need to go out in the field? So go sign up. It takes all of a minute or two. and We draw a winner every week. Um, our sponsors are are everything to us um, and help us support our sponsors who help us support the show. Absolutely.
0: All right, let's move on to our events on deck and we have one happening up in the Bakken.
1: Yeah. The eighth annual Bakken rocks cook fest. Uh, I want to go to the cook fest. Yeah, it. it does sound like a good time actually. Yeah. So it's a uh, uh, Thursday, July 21st uh, barbecue. It's free. It's open to the public live music. Um, you know, and then you have a, a bunch of really smart people talk about, um, what's going on in the Balkans? So if you're in that area of the country or you can pick up a quick, quick Southwest flight to get to that area of the country, go check this out. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can get the link in the show notes. Our first Friday Q and a is I actually had to, to, to double check and make sure we weren't recording the wrong show today, Mark. <laughs>
1: Cause we've done that
0: before. <laughs> we've done that before. So it's coming up quickly and tell us about the first Friday Q and a.
1: Yeah. So the first Friday Q and a is your chance to have your questions answered by James and I. And if we can't answer your questions, it'll be your chance to see me struggle (laughs) and go um and ha and whatever and not really know how to answer that. not sure which people like most, but the the First Friday Q&A is one of our most popular shows. So if you have a question about anything, I mean anything to do with oil and gas, reach out to us. um, And if we use your question on the air, you'll get a big shout out. Yeah,
0: get get a big old shout out and you can go to tribrocket.com forward slash QA. Then you can fill out the form. You can click the orange button on the right or you can just open up your your smartphone and leave a voice memo and just email that to me, James, at I love the voice memos. Mark, it's everyone's on vacation. They must be gone because we it's it's crickets over in iTunes for reviews. No ratings, not even
1: ratings this week. Nobody could even take the second to click a couple stars. No, <laughs> no. So come on, uh, come on, people. You're a fan of the show. Do me a favor. It takes a couple of minutes. You've heard me ask this before. Go to iTunes. Leave us a review. It'll take you a couple of minutes, but it's a huge help for us. What it does is that it allows us to rise into search engine rankings and you go, well, I don't care if you rise in the search engine rankings. Well, we do. <laughs> and the reason the we reason do and we, you do, if you want to keep hearing this show. Right. And the reason we do is as we stay near the top, more people can find us. So our audience size grows so we can help more people. Um, it's not a process that stops. We need to do this all the time. So. For those of you that have given us reviews, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. For those of you that listen, and yes, we know who you are. For those of you that listen that don't leave us reviews, please do me a favor. Go leave us a review.
0: Yeah, so go to trybrocket.com forward slash TWreviews. It'll take you straight into the iTunes store to leave that review. And before I wrap in, anything else you got on your mind, Mark?
1: No, it's um, for, for all the people in the northern part of the country that are being stricken by the heat wave, um, it could be worse. It could definitely could be worse. Yeah, a lot worse. It,
0: yeah, it was um, beads of sweat down the face. I was like, oh yeah, now I remember why.
1: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was I was coming home today at two p.m. and when I stopped the stoplight, and of course I was on a road, a concrete road. My car said it was one hundred and six degrees. Perfect.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right, folks. If you want to get all of the show uh, show notes, if you want to read any of the stories or or check anything out. Else out that we talked about, go to tribrocket.com forward slash TW74. This is episode 74. You can get that there. And if you would like to share the show, you can go to tribrocket.com forward slash share LI, take it straight to LinkedIn forward slash share TW for Twitter and forward slash share FB for Facebook. Did
1: you get any more all company emails this week? No, no more. But you know what? One thing I want to mention real quick and is that um, James and I, you know, we talked about being on the road uh, earlier this week. We, we like being on the road so if you know if if your company your trade association if you have a conference a school and like i said even book clubs right if you'd like james and i to come speak to do a podcast from your event reach out to us and we'll talk about the details we we love doing that sort of stuff
0: yeah we absolutely love it especially if it's up north and gets us out of the heat for a minute because <laughs> because because we got a whole nother uh, six weeks of this
1: but, Yeah, you'll, uh, you'll get a very special deal if it's above the mason dixon <laughs>
0: definitely all right man you ready to get out of here yeah do great
1: work pay it forward and we will see you next time
0: go find some grease guys I'm James on the second and I'm not <laughs> do you want to start over <laughs>